Hey, well, welcome to church uh, this morning. Glad you made it uh, for daylight savings time. I know for some of you, you lost an hour of sleep, and so you may be showing up at the 1130 or the 1230 service, but uh, glad to have you in the house of God uh, this morning. I wanted to just kind of reiterate two things uh, uh, this morning that you may have seen in the announcement videos or seen uh, on our social media. March 19th, obviously, we've got a worship and prayer Friday rally. Friday night, yeah, It's yeah. happening at Bell Chapel, uh, and Bell Chapel's right on Avenue B. It's super close to the church, and the church actually owns an office building right behind Bell Chapel, and, uh, and uh, the owner of the chapel has graciously allowed us to use that building for our staff prayer and devotion. And we thought, man, let's extend that opportunity to the people here in this church. It, it doesn't fit a whole lot of people, maybe 100 max, but we thought, let's pack this place out and let's worship and pray in the oldest church building in the city. Absolutely. And it's going to be incredible. Absolutely. You know, how many know every, that, that at least that, that I've found so far, every move of God, every revival, every outpouring was preceded by uh, the cry of the saints and a prayer movement. Right, right, And right. so I don't know about you, but we were just prophesying, singing, something's changing in yes, the spirit, yes, something's yes, shifting. Yes. I can feel it. I don't know about you, but I yes. feel it. And I feel like it's time for the body of Christ to get together, to seek the Lord, to to ascend in worship, to really yes. ascend yes. the hill of God, to really see what he's saying, hear what he's saying, see what he's doing. Right. So we want to invite you to come and be a part of that. It's going to be a good time. And then in about a month, like a little over 30 days from now, The Pursuit is hosting, really, its first ever conference in quite a while. And uh, we're so excited to be able to uh, invite our community to this. The reason why we're making this announcement today is because registration is now open for people who are at the church. We haven't yet announced registration is open for folks who are outside the church. That's going to happen on Monday. This is going to be a ticketed event, and it is going to sell out. We've got Bill Johnson, Benny Perez, Corey Russell, and they're all coming up, I believe, to really invest in the work of God here in the Northwest. And so we're gonna invite you to be a part of this. It's gonna be an incredible night. I'm not sure how we're gonna fit a thousand people in this room, but we're gonna do it. And uh, we want you to be able to get in on this opportunity for impartation and development. You know, these moments I think oftentimes are, are, are once in a lifetime or once in a generation where you're, you're able to bring generals of the faith like this together Absolutely. to really speak into what's happening here. And like Snohomish is a city of 10,000 people. 10,000 people live in city limits. And so the fact that we're able to host what we're hosting here and do this, it just reminds me that God, I think, has a special place in his heart for small cities. And we're going to see a move of God here, and we're going to invite you out April 22nd through the 24th. I hope you'll be able to join us. Yeah, it's going to be a great join time. It's going to be a great time. Awesome. Right hey, thanks so much again for all of those who uh, helped share and like and, 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 and spread a little bit of our, our social media messaging over the last week. Uh, as you know, we released a video statement just kind of letting people know our position. And I, I've learned a secret in life. If you don't want to be criticized, just do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. And some people have committed to do all three of those things and essentially have avoided critique in their life. But I didn't get in this to be liked. I got in to make a difference. And so uh, we're going to do everything we can with the tools that God has given us to reach people where they're at. And part of reaching people where they're at is being uncompromising in our conviction to follow Jesus every step of the way. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Christ is the head of the church, not Caesar, not political opinions, not legislation. Christ himself is the head of the church. And so we take our direction for church from the head, which is Christ. Scripture says the fullness is in his body, which is you and I, uh, but he gives us the leadership, the direction, and the authority. Scripture says, and the gates of hell will not 
prevail against the church, which means this, the church is not on defense, it's on offense. We're not trying to protect land, we're trying to take territory. And so we want to be a church that's advancing, we want to be a church that's continuing to grow, and, and, uh, and, and, and we want to make room for people uh, on, on every step of the journey. And, and, and I, I, I want to reiterate for you this morning, I, I am not somebody who is anti-government, I'm not even necessarily anti-mask or anti-vaccine or anti-anything, I'm just pro-Jesus and I'm pro-church. And so that's our position, and I want to take time today to formally apologize to absolutely no one for keeping the church open. And so, as long as there's a Jesus who sits on the throne, which I think is going to be quite a while, uh, we're going to have a church that gives him worship and praise in the Northwest. And so, we're going to be those type of people in this type of city and come hell or high water, I'm reminded this week of something Winston Churchill said. He said, you'll never reach your destiny if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. There's a lot of barking, there's a lot of opinions, there's a lot of chatter. A lot of people said, well, if I was you, I would do it this way. Well, you're not me and I'm not you, and that's the beauty of the gospel is that we can be fully who God has made us to be. And for about a year, I've said nothing and been quiet and just put my hand to the plow. But the reality is, is that there's very little different about what we do today that we haven't done over the last nine months. Beginning in July, our team, our elders, made a decision that the church ought to be open. And by the grace of God, we've stayed open every Sunday. So I'd appreciate your prayers as we continue our ongoing, what I would say, work with uh, different leaders and political systems and, and government-type folks, and, and, uh, and, and we appreciate your grace in this season. You might be here today or watching online, and you might say, well, I disagree, and I have a different opinion. And the good news of the gospel and the good news of church community is that you're invited to do life with people that you don't always agree with. And that's actually a good thing, not a bad thing. And, and I think sometimes people crave an, an isolated echo chamber by which the only voice they ever hear is their own. And we have a team of people and a church of people who don't always see things eye to eye. And I'm not asking you to agree with every position I've ever taken in my entire life. I am asking you to agree on this, that Jesus is worthy of worship and the church at least ought to be open for people who feel comfortable to be here. And so at the end of the day, that's our position. And uh, we want to extend grace, and we also want to receive grace, and, and we want to partner with people on every part of their journey. And, and, and uh, there is very rarely any environment that you will find where you absolutely 100% agree with everything that's ever communicated in your life. That doesn't exist in marriage, it doesn't exist in friendships, it doesn't exist in workplaces, it just doesn't exist. And sometimes we crave kind of this socialistic, totalitarian utopia by which everybody has the same opinion. That's really boring. And that's actually not how God created us to function. And one of the great things about church is that you can sit down next to people who have different perspectives on the issues of life and hopefully grow and be challenged and, and all sorts of things and, and together you and I, we're going to make it. We're going to be okay. In Mark 3, Mark chapter 3, I'm going to read to you today a story about the life of Jesus that I think reflects on some of the principles of, of, of the moment or the cross-section of history that we find ourselves in today. The Gospel of Mark is written by a ministry companion of the Apostle Paul, a guy named John Mark. 
And John Mark writes uh, about his, uh, uh, his, his eyewitness account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. In the New Testament, it begins with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are considered synoptic Gospels, meaning they all tell the same story, and they all follow a rather similar timeline, but they share it from different perspectives. And in the book of Mark, it includes a detail that I think is important for this moment. This story that we read in Mark 3 is repeated in Matthew, and it's repeated in Luke. But I'm choosing to read it out of the Gospel of Mark this morning, because Mark includes details that I think help give flavor and context and culture to the story in such a way that you and I can pull out some principles for our life and our development even in this moment. The Bible says this starting in verse 1, and again Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. I love the details of this story. I love the way that Mark writes about his perspective on the ministry of Christ. At this moment in the public ministry of Jesus, there is conflict all around him. Jesus is threatened. His adversaries surround him. A trap waits for him at literally every turn in the journey, and yet nothing will keep him from entering the synagogue. Why? Because the business of heaven waits for no man. And we know this from the life of Jesus, that his central obsession is to be about his father's business. Remember when his parents leave him behind in the temple and they don't realize it until a few days later and they come back and they say, why have you done this to us? And he says, I must be about the business of my father, the business of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth in a way that tangibly demonstrates the character and the ethic of the heart of God. And in Matthew, uh, in Mark 3, we see Jesus entering the synagogue. And I think maybe because of our culture today, we tend to not fully appreciate the story communicated in Mark 3. And by that, I mean this, we see a man with a withered hand. Uh, but I want to focus on that man for just a moment this morning. It's likely his family is in poverty. It's likely that he's looked down upon in his community. He probably only survives with handouts from his friends. The religious leaders would have viewed him as cursed by God. He doesn't have a skill he can teach his children. He might not have a wife who is willing to stay with him. He has no recourse of action, no governmental aid or assistance, and a future that doesn't look so bright. But when Jesus entered the synagogue, he found him. <coughs> <coughs> I get a water, be great. <laughs> Your boy gonna have a stroke up here. Bless God Almighty. It's likely his family's in poverty. He's looked down upon by his community. He only survived with handouts from his friends. The religious leaders viewed him as cursed by God. He don't have a skill he can teach his children. He might not have a wife who is willing to stay with him. He has no recourse of action, no governmental aid or assistance, and a future that doesn't look so bright. But when Jesus entered the synagogue, he found this man. See, Jesus has come, watch, not as a doctor for the healthy, but instead for the sick. He is not calling the righteous, but instead the sinner under repentance. Watch what Jesus says when he tells the parable of the great supper. Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house 
house may be filled. That means this. If you came into this building with injury today, Jesus is looking for you. If you came into this building with sickness today, Jesus is looking for you. If you came into this building with depression today, Jesus is looking for you. For the one who sees the sparrow has set his eyes on you. And you know that your injury will either keep you from community or place you in community. The choice is yours. How about the injury of offense? I've been hurt. Therefore, I'm going to stay hurt and allow my life to revolve around this hurt. And in doing so, develop an injury with no cure. I love something John Mark Comer says. He says, don't give up on church. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to the constraints of community, for it is there that we are set free. It's not just the injury of offense, but how about the injury of disagreement? Started promoting this conference online. I think the first comment we had on Facebook was, well, does this church really believe with all, really agree with all of Bill Johnson's theology? And I thought to myself, I don't even agree with all of my theology. And you know who doesn't agree with all of our theology? The one that we worship. And when we get to heaven, all of our theologies are going to be corrected. Your timelines, your fancy charts, your flannel graphs, all of the ways that you've understood, all of the nice little boxes that you've placed him in, all of the ways that you've understood your system of theology, guess what? When you get to heaven, Jesus is going to correct it. It doesn't mean that we're not certain of a few things, but I think so often we have an arrogant theology that says, I have figured out the end from the beginning, and we reduce an infinite God to a finite mind and in doing so we think more highly of ourselves than we should well, I can't be anywhere I disagree well it sounds like you're going to be alone it's the injury of offense or how about the injury of disagreement or how about the injury of preference friend let me be clear we are walking into what for generations people have been praying for and it might look different than what you imagined but when I think about what is happening here I sense the presence and the nearness of God we are hosting a move of God in the northwest and I think so often people pray for revival and then refuse to join it when it arrives because it dares to look different than what they had imagined and if you could for but a moment not build an altar to the nostalgia of what God did in the past and instead say, God, rework your story in my day in this way, then maybe you too could be a part of what's happening here. Well, let's go look a little different. And that's the good news. We serve a God who is more creative than our formulas. In verse two, the Bible says this, and they, meaning the religious leaders, watch Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. See, the Sabbath was a Saturday of rest that the Pharisees had added so many layers of complication to that it was impossible to fulfill. And that's exactly what religion does. It takes what is pure and simple and adds layers of complexity in such a way that the principle of the matter is lost in order to preserve the letter of the law. Watch the principle of the Sabbath. When you trust God with your rest, he trusts you with his results. When I trust God with my finite, he trusts me with his infinite. The religious leaders only watch Jesus so they might accuse. And I've found that some people in your life are just like that. The only reason they pay attention to your social media is so they can accuse. 
The only reason they watch your stories is so they can mock. The only reason they ask a question is so they can gossip. Friend, don't lose sleep over people who are committed to misunderstanding you. Don't lose sleep over people who are committed to being offended by everything except sin. I'm not saying don't be friends with people who have different perspectives. I'm saying don't cast pearl before swine and then expect them to understand your heart. I don't argue with people online these days. I don't have enough time. We're doing more important work. And sometimes we end up validating opinions that have really no foundation in the kingdom by giving our time, energy, attention, focus, and mental real estate to convincing people who refuse to understand our heart in the first place. You know, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time debating with the Pharisees. He walked into the synagogue and healed a man with a withered hand and said, what are you going to do with a God like that? And walked out. And I think sometimes because of our lack of power in our faith, we have over relied on intellectual and dogmatic arguments to prove our point. And if I can argue you into an encounter, then the world can argue you out of an encounter. So let's just be people who said, I wasn't fine in speech or eloquent in talk, but these men had been with Jesus. Could we be those type of people in this world today? There's some people who are just committed to misunderstanding you. It don't matter what you say. It don't matter how you look. It don't matter how many books you read. It don't matter how many hoops you jump through. They are committed to maligning and misunderstanding you. And I tell you what, 2021 will be a real good year to let go and move on. And Jesus said to the man, and by the way, when the religious leaders accuse Jesus, they are partnering with who scripture calls the accuser of the brethren. And you know who the accuser of the brethren is? Not a person with discernment, the enemy. God didn't give you discernment and wisdom so that you could partner with the accuser. Well, I'm fine with questions. I'm fine with different opinions. I'm fine with people who say, Pastor, I see it differently than you, but I love you and I love Jesus, and I think I'm going to hang around until you say something too crazy. I'm fine with that. But we see in our culture today sociological constructs that are devoid of things like grace, mercy, or, 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 or any sort of generosity. And all they do is just accuse and accuse and accuse. And I'm just not going to do the work of the enemy in this season. He's already doing work overtime. I'm not going to help him. Now watch. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Let me read it again. Don't miss it. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Your injury is a source of invitation. Watch what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Watch, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come on, can I reimagine that verse for our context today? Come to me, all who struggle with sobriety. Come to me, all who deal with anxiety. Come to me, all who face terrors at night. Come to me, all who are abused and alone, and I will give you rest. Your injury is also your invitation. See, that's why we can't ever allow the accuser of the brethren to label us with disqualifications that keep us from the house of God, the people of God, or the presence of God. The enemy will work overtime to get you to believe a conspiracy theory about yourself, and in doing so, disqualify yourself from partaking in his presence. And I'll tell you what, the more you miss church, the less you miss church. 
the more you miss the presence, the less you miss the presence. And I tell you what, man, when you've been marked by the presence of God, nothing else satisfies. Dry dead religion doesn't satisfy. Hyped up TED Talks that mention God twice don't satisfy. Four minute worship sessions with no oil don't satisfy. When you've been touched by the presence, nothing else will do it for you. I tell you what, come to me, all who are wearied and burdened. Watch, and Jesus said to them, is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or, or to kill it. But the Bible says they were silent. And Jesus looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart and said to this man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. When Moses stretched out his hand, God worked great wonders in the land of Egypt. When Joshua stretched out his hand, God gave the nation military victory. When Elijah stretched out his hand, God raised a widow's son. When Jesus uttered these words, stretch out your hand, every Jew in that synagogue knew what was about to happen. The God of Moses, Joshua, and Elijah would show himself strong. It might not be perfect, it might not look great, and in fact, it might not even be in impressive to other people but if we'll just stretch out our hand watch what this God will do I'm reminded of the life of Jesus working with the boy who only had five loaves and two fishes watching the widow who gave but she only had two mites talking about faith like it's only one mustard seed but if we will give what we've got watch what God will do and see Jesus asked a question but he already knew what was in their hearts and the scripture tells us that he was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he looked at them with anger. We have so bought into a culturally relevant, pacified version of Jesus. A Jesus who never gets rattled. A Jesus who never confronts sin. A Jesus who never calls people to a higher level. A Jesus who just agrees with whatever the normative political narrative of that day is. We forget that Jesus was a revolutionary. He was countercultural. He commanded people to leave all, forsake all, and follow him. He wasn't looking to build a big ministry, but instead to build big people. And what Jesus did with 12 is more than so many do with 1,200. And this Jesus got stirred in his innermost. He was grieved by their hardness of heart, and his anger became a problem problem-solving emotion that resulted in the healing and transformation of a man. Watch what happens when God gets angry. Psalms 97, clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord, the whole earth shakes. The heavens declare his righteousness and the people see his glory. I think sometimes in life what we have done is we have divided in our own mindset emotions that are inherently negative or sinful and emotions that are inherently awesome and beautiful and righteous. And what if I could challenge you today to let you know that your emotions take on the morality of the user, that anger isn't inherently sinful. In fact, scripture says, be angry and yet do not sin, which means this, God created me to feel, God created me to be moved with compassion, and those things often function as triggers for the supernatural. 
and I don't know about you, but it's high time somebody in this community got angry at what the enemy is doing in the Northwest. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty angry at suicide in young people. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty angry at drug addiction and bondage. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty angry at mental illness and disease. I don't know about you, but God is looking for people who are willing to get stirred enough to do something about it. And we can, for the rest of our days, curse the darkness, or we can get moved in our spirit to do something about it. And Jesus was moved. I love this. Watch what happens. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. The reason why I chose the Gospel of Mark to tell this story is because it includes this detail that no other author mentions. The Pharisees are so upset. They are offended by everything except sin. They are so irritated that Jesus would have the goal to heal someone on the Sabbath. And the Bible says after this man stretched out his hand and all of a sudden was made whole. The Bible says the Pharisees leave in a huff and immediately go to conspire with a group called the Herodians. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it should be. The Herodians were a political cult, allegiant to King Herod, and the Pharisees teamed up with them in an attempt to destroy Jesus. If you hear anything today, friend, hear this. The religious spirit and the political spirit are teaming up to try and kill a move of God, and I will oppose both. I will oppose dry, dead religion that bores people to sleep while the world is going to hell. And I will oppose political overreach that seeks to silence the church. I will oppose a gospel that says we are saved by our works. And I will oppose a government that classifies worship as non-essential. I will oppose lukewarm Christianity. And I will oppose nanny state bureaucrats. We must resist the religious and political principalities that seek to diminish the beauty and the brilliance of Jesus. Stand to your feet, Pursuit. Let's give God a great shout of victory here in the Northwest. Come on, friend. We are coming into a move of God in this region. I sense the wind of the Spirit like I've never sensed it before. We will not shrink back in our hour of testing. Come on, we will not develop a spirit of timidity or cowardice in our moment of opportunity. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when the religious and the political establishment gathered around me, to eat up my bones, God defended me. And when the religious and the political establishment tried to shut down the church, God stood as our victor. And when the religious and the political establishment sought to bring accusation and sought to sow seeds of discord and sought to criticize every move we made, it was God who defended our reputation. And when the religious and the political establishment tried to shut down the church, there was a group of people who rose up in the Northwest who said, we will not be silent. We will not give up. We will not be deterred. We will not be depressed. I might be pressed down and persecuted but we ain't dead yet. Come on, there's another move in the Northwest. 
pray that's what we're believing for. And that's where we're asking you to stand with us in this season. Not because we always get it right, but because we worship the one who does. Not because we have it all figured out, but because we worship the one who does. And in this season, we're going to press in like never before. And we're going to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done in the Northwest, even as it's being done in heaven. And together, you and I are going to step back and see God work in mysterious and in wonderful ways. And here's what I hear from the Spirit of the Lord this morning. And you haven't seen anything yet. Come on, would you raise your hands all across this room? Let me pray for you today.